0: Good morning. Good morning. So I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, Taylor and his family are uh, waiting out a tropical storm right now uh, in Maui. But what I told him was that's what you get for going to Maui for 18 days, punk. Um, I'm surprised they didn't put a booster seat up here for me. Let me put this down a little bit. Um, hey. Uh, First off, welcome. Uh, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. I, I, I tell you what, I had a conversation with Taylor at the beginning of the year and um, I ended up with, he asked how would I uh, like to have an opportunity in the pulpit, and I said, man, that'd be awesome, I would love it. And about, probably about a month later or so, he called me back and goes, hey, how would you like to preach the book of Job? And I was like, hmm, how many times have people's first sermon been through the book of Job? Um, <laughs> Is an extremely difficult book, um, but one that yet has provided me very much hope. And I hope that this morning it is an encouragement to you. Um, and it is such an honor to be here. Uh, my name is Matt Van Zant. Um, I am not a pastor of anything at Sojourn Galleria. Um, and no, I'm not a church planning resident of Sojourn Houston of any sort. Uh, so your next, next natural question should be, why are you up here then? And we are still trying to answer that question. <laughs> And depending on how today goes, you may never see me up here again. (laughs) But in all seriousness, um, this is such an honor to me. Um, For the last three and a half years, I have co-led the Monte Beach Parish over at Sojourn Heights, since September of 2012, actually. And on April 1st, 2015, our parish family said goodbye to 18 men, women, and children who transitioned to be the core team of Sojourn Galleria. So as you can imagine, it is an honor for me to be here today, and it is such a joy to see the fruit of multiplication. Our parish is here today, and we want you to know that we love you guys dearly. Um, It is truly an honor to be able to preach the Word of God. I remember my freshman year in college when I was at a conference and a man stood up and he preached the Word of God in a way that I had never heard it before, and it changed my life forever. And as a young Christian, it wasn't until I began to to read and learn the scriptures that the whole trajectory of my life changed. And so it is humbling to think that I'm now in this place getting to preach the word of God. There is no task that I am more unworthy of, and there is no task that that could be a higher honor than this. And so with that said, I want to pray just real briefly for this time. Uh, Father, I pray... Uh, Over this time, um, I need your help. I pray that you would speak through me, that your spirit would move through the power of your word. And I trust you in this time. I pray that you'd calm my nerves and that you would help me to uh, help for people to see the beauty of Christ, that they would leave this place with a deeper love and affection for your son. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so this past week I had a really unique opportunity of caddying in the biggest junior golf tournament in the world, which y'all are like, wow, that's really cool, Matt, let me tell you. Uh, But I caddied for a friend of mine, Travis Vick. He's sitting right over here. He's a stud. Um, He is one of the nation's top junior golfers, and he is being recruited by basically any college that is any good, and all the other colleges aren't recruiting him because they just know they have no chance. Um, but this week was an amazing week as Travis finished first in the qualifying portion of the tournament. And I know this doesn't mean much to you, um, but I can just tell you that this is one of the biggest sports feats that I have ever witnessed with my own eyes. It's a huge deal, and one that causes for great celebration. And after the round, we took pictures, we got interviewed, there were articles written about Travis, um, and he got his mug, his big old picture, was on the front page of the Chattanooga Times, with his caddy, of course. Um, It was a big deal, and truly in that moment that Travis was on top of the world, and while this story is one that causes for great celebration, the majority of us come into the room today being unable to relate with Travis's successes personally. My boss told me in college one time that people can always relate more with your weaknesses than they can with your strengths. And after five years of ministry, I cannot tell you how true that statement is. You see, the majority of us come into this room today in some form or fashion, believing that it is the people around us who are having the great successes in life. And we lay our head down on the pillow at night, often wondering, when are we going to catch our break? Whether it's a spouse, a job, a pregnancy, being healed from an illness, a new house, a better life, a better marriage. We often feel that if we could just do things a little bit better in this life, that we would, be, we would catch a break. We feel the toil and the struggle of life. This is why stories of struggle often seem more personal to us than stories of success. There is no book in the Bible that walks through struggle and suffering like the book of Job. And my hope is that over the series and this morning, that this book will become very personal for you as it is for me. So as most of you know, we are in a sermon series right now, doing a high-level flyover of the book of Job. The book of Job is located in the Old Testament. This is the part of the Bible uh, that, that stories life before Jesus. And in Job, the author uses the, sto- the story of Job to deal with one of life's age-old questions, and that is suffering. And we see that the author has clearly outlined that Job is a righteous man, and that the suffering he is experiencing comes in no way whatsoever as a consequence for his failures. However, while we the reader know that there was a conversation that took place between God and Satan, in which God allowed Satan to inflict suffering upon Job, Job is ignorant of any such conversation. Therefore, Job is extremely confused as to his life circumstances. Here is what Job knows. He knows that he is innocent. And he believes that God is just. So then why are these things happening? Is God just? He's trying to make sense of the why behind the events taking place in his life. Then enters Job's friends. Now we as the reader, we have no reason to believe that these friends are anything but Job's closest brothers. They genuinely love him and came to comfort him when they got news of his suffering. However, after seven days of sitting with him in silence on the ground out of love for job and respect for the severity of his suffering a conversation ensues between job and his friends and in job 16 we see that job is responding to one to one of his friends eliphaz what he had just said in job 15. this is roughly the middle of this whole conversation but we see that things have escalated in their conversation job's friends believe that the suffering job's suffering is coming upon him because of some hidden sin that Job refuses to confess and to repent of. So therefore, God is judging him. You see, in Eliphaz's view, Job is getting what he deserves. He won't repent of his sin, so of course God's punishing him. In fact, things have escalated so much so that at the very end of chapter 15, Eliphaz blames, blames Job's sin to be the cause for his kid's death. Can you imagine that? So here we are in Job 16, and we're going to see what Job responds with. So if you want to follow with me, if you have a Bible, we're going to go through the text here. We're going to read verse 1 through 3 here. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end, or what provokes you that you answer? Job essentially just said, You are terrible at being comforters, right? Let me tell you a personal story about this that uh, is very, uh, that illustrates the opposite, but it will help you understand this situation better. Some of you know that one of the hardest things I've ever gone through in my life was the loss of my brother on February 9th, 2011. My brother was born with muscular dystrophy, he had been given a short life expectancy. However, he had beaten all odds and lived to be 29 years old and relatively healthy. However, my brother was in a tough patch where he was struggling. He was in and out of the hospital over the span of about a month. And one day he went back into the hospital thinking it was another checkup and one that he, had, he would be in for the day and out by the night. And that night I had to work super late, and I was 30 miles from the hospital when I got a call from my mom in panic saying that my brother had gone into cardiac arrest. I ran down to my car, and I drove as fast as I could to get there. While I was driving, all I could do was pray and cry and call those who are closest to me to do the same. One person I called was my best friend, Drew. It was almost 10 p.m. on the East Coast, and he was still working. I cried to him, and I just asked him to pray. And after he received news that my brother did not make it, he worked through the night. He bought an $800 plane ticket. And he was in Houston the next day around 1 p.m. You see, he was a comforter. He was a true friend. Could you imagine if I had called him in the midst of my pain and he said, Matt, this is your fault. What unconfessed sin do you have in your life that has caused this? Could you imagine how betrayed I would have felt in that moment? This is what Job is experiencing let's keep going. Verse 4 through 6. I also could speak as you do if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. If I speak, my pain is not assuaged. And if I forbear, how much of it leaves me? You see what Job is saying here is that if roles were reversed, that Job may Job may have been tempted to say the same things that these friends were saying to him, but at least he would have stepped into their suffering and he would have comforted comforted them, and not just stood back at a distance and shook their, shook their head shook his head at them. Let me illustrate this a little bit more for you. Many of us struggle with deeply with anxiety. This would be like someone coming up to me and saying, "Hey, could you pray for me? I'm really crippled these days with anxiety about my future." And then I respond by saying, you know the Bible says do not be anxious about anything, right? It's found in Philippians. You need to repent of your anxiety. What good is that going to do? You see, when people are hurting, what they need most is for us to sit with them, to understand what they are going through before we begin to speak any sort of hard truths in their life. If you don't have compassion, then your words are going to be like clanging cymbals. And you won't be listened to. You see, Job is lamenting his life and his neck deep in his own grief. His kids have died. His wife left him and the God that they served together. His prosperity is gone. And now he's been struck with this loathsome disease. So chapter 16 opens up with Job searching for comfort from his friends. And instead, he receives accusations from them saying, you get what you deserve. So now he turns his frustration from man to God. Let's keep going verse 7. Surely now God has worn me out. He has made me de- he has made he has made desolate all my company and he has shriveled me up which is a witness against me. And my leanness has risen up against me and it testifies to my faith to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Now, I know being lean and skinny is something that almost all of us aspire to be. Uh, but in this day, a, this day and age, being fat was a sign of blessing because it represented wealth and prosperity. You see, to be skinny was viewed as a curse because it said, you don't have... The only reason that one wouldn't have is because God didn't provide it. And God wouldn't provide it because you didn't deserve it. So this skinniness culturally represents Job's guilt. And in verse 9, Job calls God his adversary. The word Satan is actually translated into the word accuser. And think of accuser and adversary to be kind of like first cousins words. Let me, read, let me read what another commentator says about this. He says, Job had reached the place where he is not thinking of God and Satan in completely separate categories, but that they are both holistically against him. This is the inevitable end in this line of thinking. If Job's friends are right and you truly get what you deserve, then suffering has to be interpreted as God being against you. Let's keep it up. Verse 10. Men have gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me insolently on their cheek, on the cheek. They mass themselves together against me. God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target. His archers surround me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare, and he pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. Job has been publicly shamed. He has no dignity. He believes that God is at war and that his target is Job, that God has fired arrows at him, And now Job truly has nothing. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Um, Sorry. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and have laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping, and on my eyelids is deep darkness. Although there is no violence in my hands, and my prayer is pure. You see, Job feels utterly forsaken. The word strength here is translated as horn, which was was a symbol of strength. And he's basically saying, I have buried my horn in the ground. I have given up. Job feels abandoned by God. He feels like God is prosecuting him. And he is pleading his innocence as his defense against God's prosecution. It has to be so tempting for Job in this moment to believe what his friends are saying at this this point. I could only imagine if I was in the same situation that I would go, maybe I did do something wrong. But yet Job continues to plead his innocence. Let's finish out the chapter, verse 18. O earth, cover not my blood. Let my cry find no resting place. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me, my eye pours out tears to God, that he would argue the case of a man with God, as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return." You know, I found out that I would be preaching sometime around the beginning of the year and have just been camping out in the book of Job, reading it and rereading it. And I admit that there are so many times when I read this and I just think, man, come on, God, give the guy a break. Right? Job is exhausted. He is still so confused. That line, my eye pours out tears to God. He has pleaded and pleaded with God, but still has no answer as to why. Job wishes that there was one who would plead for him, with God, for he knows that his time is short. He believes that his life is coming to an end. And here he cries out to God for someone to vindicate his life. You can feel the despair that exists in this end, Job. So here's the question. Who will hear Job's cry? Will anyone hear Job's cry? Or will he go to the grave pleading for someone to vindicate his life? You see, when in our suffering, what our greatest need is is to have an advocate. To have somebody who will step in and say, I affirm your suffering. I acknowledge that what is going on in you is awful and it is not the way that it meant to be and that they would plead on your behalf before God. We, in our, greatest, in our suffering, our greatest need is that we would have an advocate and that is what Job is longing for in this book. He looks. He thought his friends would be his advocate but instead they are his accusers. He thought God would be his advocate, but instead, right now, he feels that God is his enemy. Well, if you know the end of the book of Job, we are going to see that the one who will hear Job's cry is God. God will vindicate Job's life in the end. But what about us? Who will hear our cries? Who is the witness in heaven who testifies on our behalf? Who is the one who argues the case of man with God? You see, as New Testament Christians, we have the privilege of seeing God be faithful to not only hear the cries of Job, but to intervene and advocate for the sufferings and longings of all of creation. Jesus Christ entered into the brokenness of humanity to give a hope for those who are suffering. The prophet Isaiah, he prophesied it perfectly in chapter 53, saying this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Sure, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But... He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You see, now as the church, we are a people who cling to our great advocate in Christ. He is the one who hears our cries. He is the one who is our witness in heaven, who testifies on our behalf. He is the one who argues the case of man with God. But now, we as the church, we have a call on our life, and that is to be advocates to the widows, to the broken, to the orphans, to the hurting, to the down and out, and to the suffering. However, in doing so, we take on the suffering of the sufferer, making us a sufferer with them and making us in great need of an advocate. You see, the church, Christ's body, is the world's great advocate. The church is the one who hears the cries of a suffering world and steps into those situations. The church is the one who will intercede for the beat up and the broken down the church is the one who will make intercession to God in prayer for those around us who are hurting. This is one reason why the church must work together as a body and why we are better as a body than we are as individuals. I want to share a story. This week, it was a great week in Tennessee, but it was a long, tiring week, both physically and emotionally. High highs and low lows. But not only the from those things that were going on in Tennessee and caddying but the things that were going on back home. This has just been a really intense season of walking with people through suffering for me personally. It has been an absolute privilege but it has also taken its toll on me. And on my flight home, on my way home from Tennessee, I was cranky. On my flight home, I had to endure crying babies with no headphones. I had a hot airplane, and heaven forbid, I got a middle seat. (laughs) Coming home, though, I just wanted to crawl into my bed and disappear. However, when I got home, I had a stack of notes from my parish, telling me that they were praying for me, and how grateful they were to have stumbled across the Monte Beach Parish, and how much they loved me. You see, stepping into the suffering of others, I was suffering, I needed advocates. My parish family has been my single great, greatest source of encouragement over these past three and a half years. They are a tangible reminder to me that Christ is with me. He has not left me and that he is faithful to me until the end. You see, Jesus is our great defender. He's our great defender against confusing circumstances like Job that scream, God hates you. But see, Christ is God's love demonstrated to you. Jesus is our great defender against, just like Job, accusing words that shout, God condemns you. Christ is God's righteousness gifted to you. You see, Jesus is our great defender against God's prosecuting wrath of which we so deserve. But Christ is God's mercy showered upon you. So this morning, if I have a call, it's to these group of people. To the suffering in the room, let your suffering be known. The church is a place of refuge for you. It is a people who are clinging in their own suffering to Christ, our advocate. God loves you, and he has not abandoned you. To the church as a whole, step into the suffering of those around you. That may be someone who is experiencing personal suffering or someone who has stepped in as an advocate to someone else's personal suffering. Listen to them. Buy them lunch. Give them a hug. Tell them you love them. Remind them of the wonderful truths of the gospel. Intercede with prayer, in prayer for them. To Sojourn Galleria, be committed to your parish. Prioritize them. Labor over them. Pray for them. There's great joy to be had there. And to any, anybody who would consider themselves a non-believer in the room, the Bible states that you stand condemned before a holy God and that you are rejecting the offer of having an advocate, one who pleads on your behalf with God. I just say this. Consider Christ. Ask, him, ask questions about him. Let your frustrations and hang-ups be known. Seek answers to your questions, much is at stake. And I wanted to end by reading one of the, one of the passage, a passage from one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Romans 8. If you have a Bible and you want to turn, it's Romans 8, 16 through 25, and hear these words of Paul. And please be encouraged by them. And verse 16 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may may also be glorified with him. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, the book of Revelation describes a day where the sting of suffering will, be, will no longer be present. And that day will be a glorious day for those whose lives are hidden in Christ. The Bible closes with these words from our great advocate, and I'm going to close with them here today. This from the mouth of our Savior. Surely I am coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, I I just I just know too much, and I've been had too many conversations to think that there aren't people who have come into this room today just with just weightiness in their life that disappointment seems to um, mark and identify their life, that they're looking around over the fence, coveting the lives of others and thinking, man, where is God in my life? May they look to the story of Job and find hope that amidst Job's brokenness and his suffering, that God was very present, that the whole time God was planning to see Job through and to vindicate his life, And we thank you now for our great advocate in Christ, that he is interceding on our behalf right now, that he is the one who has secured for us a great hope, and now we suffer as he suffered. And we step into the lives of those who are suffering as advocates for them, knowing that you will sustain us. Lord, sustain us until the end. Keep us near to you. Do what you have to do to do that. We thank you for your grace on our life. We thank you for your hope that is secure. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.